Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Regenerative by Design podcast, where we will be getting to the root of health, climate, economics, and food. I am your host, Joni Kinwell-Moore. I'm an RN, an ethnobotanist, and the founder of Snacktivist Foods. Join me on this journey as we explore the ideas, stories, and personalities behind the regenerative food system movement. Food is the connection between people and planet. In a world where pandemics, climate change, and war have made us feel so disconnected and vulnerable, regenerative agriculture has become a powerful force for positive transformation and hope. Here, regenerative thought leaders share how agriculture and food design can create a more resilient system. Okay, hello, and welcome to the Regenerative by Design podcast series. And today I'm sitting here with the Carlson family at their awesome TEF facility in Idaho, in Boise, Idaho. And um, I have Royd here. Royd is the one of the brothers. And he's going to tell us a little bit about this awesome operation. And you'll just have to ignore a little bit of the echo because we're in a warehouse for real, which is really fitting, but doesn't make for the best acoustics. So welcome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So I appreciate you taking the time out of the day. I know you're busy. Um, today, you know, I'd like you to tell our listeners a little bit about your journey as a person, but also your family's journey. Like how in the world did you guys start growing teff in Idaho? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so originally my my dad, he um, ended up going to Ethiopia to work on public health with UCSF. And while he was there, he, he spent a couple of years there and became acquainted with um, Ethiopian food and agriculture and really was quite impressed with the system that they developed there. And then when he came back to the U.S., it was sort of around the same time that a lot of Ethiopian refugees also um, moved to the U.S. for the first time. And he knew the importance of TEF in, in their diet. In Ethiopian culture, they use it almost exclusively to make a fermented uh, flatbread. And he thought... What's that flatbread called? Uh, it's, and it's called... Yeah, that bread's called injera. Um, and my dad knew that you know, that was extremely important to them. And he was living in Idaho and uh, knew a few farmers around. And so just decided to get them to try their hands at growing it. And then called some Ethiopian people out of the Washington DC phone book where most of the refugees originally went. And then it just kind of went from there. So cool. So speaking of injera, I showed up at on the best day here at Tefco headquarters because you guys are having a birthday party and there was fresh made injera bread mm-hmm. and some amazing Ethiopian food. And so that's, that's a really wonderful way to start out with something like this. Um, if you've not tried that, definitely reach out to see if there is a local Ethiopian restaurant in your community because it's really unique and delicious and super healthy. So, you know, as far as you and your brothers now, because when I first met you guys, it was your parents. Mm-hmm. And um, at least I didn't meet you at that time. This was a few years back. Like, um, who's running the operation now? Are you and your brother? Yeah, which? yeah. So it's mainly my brother and I. And then mm-hmm. our parents sort of, uh, you know, add their two cents here and there. Yeah. But, 
they're trying to enjoy a little bit of free time. I'm yeah. sure if he's, they've been entrepreneurs for that many decades, I'm sure that they're definitely deserving a nice little yeah. break. <laughs> it's a, it's not an easy road. So, you know, that's one of the reasons I, I wanted to talk to you guys is, is because you think about what it takes to start growing a specialty crop like Tef. It's up against a lot of challenges when it comes to path to market, just because of, you know, harvesting it. Is it special equipment? Um, all the processing steps, cleaning, any sort of, you know, and then you guys do millet as well, which a lot of Tef is, you know, it's a tiny seed if anybody has ever seen it. Um, it's literally poppy seed size. And so I think for a lot of people who are being introduced to Tef, they don't really know where to start. And then, you know, do you eat it milled? Do you eat it whole? Like, what could you tell us about, you know, Tef when it comes to processing? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, going from the farm to the, uh, the warehouse, a lot of the, a lot of the equipment for other grains is sort of almost, almost works, but not quite. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tef is different enough that the equipment that's been engineered for particular grains is just not quite, um, going to, to work the same way. Tef's pretty small. It's about as big as a poppy seed. And it's pretty abrasive, so that can cause a lot of wear on equipment that other grains just won't, just won't, um, you know, the, they won't cause that kind of wear. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the farm equipment is pretty, pretty much the, pretty much the same as um, the equipment that you would use for other grains. But the farmers just need to be aware of the differences with Tef and keep an eye on, on. Uh, how things are working and maybe adjust their practices a little bit. Mm -hmm. How do you find these farmers? Uh, so it's, it's a little bit tricky. Um, a lot of farmer farmers are kind of conservative with trying new things for good reason. Um, and you know, they're not always easy to find. It's not like they've got websites where you just look them up. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a lot of word of mouth. Often we try to find, you know, one grower in a region that can, can have some success with Tef and over time the other farmers sort of are able to see see like, how hey, how things work that. yeah and then often it takes a few years to sort of get the first guy up to speed and get um, other people seeing seeing that it does in fact work mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. we kind of can go from there um where does Tef like to grow I know it has, is very specialized in as far as the environment that it likes to grow in especially being from dry desert mountains in Africa as a native terrain. What are you finding Tef is thriving in here in North America, especially with things getting drier and warmer? Yeah. So, so in Ethiopia, Ethiopia is um, fairly high altitude. I think probably the average might be around 8,000 feet of the, wow. the place where people are growing Tef and it's near near to the equator. So there's a lot of bright sunlight, mm -hmm. um, here in the U S the conditions are not exactly the same, but some of the high desert, like here in Idaho or around the West works pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, in Ethiopia, most of, most all of the TEF is rain fed. And, um, here in the U S we're mostly using irrigated land. So that gives us a little more, mm -hmm. uh, control and the ability to to get better yields than they might in Africa. Mm -hmm. Like if they um, don't get any early spring rain. I know some farmers down in California 
that are growing tough and they have a teeny bit of irrigation in the spring Mm -hmm. and it's just enough to get it going. Yeah. I think that's some of the most important water is at the beginning. And then Jeff is um, drought tolerant in the sense that uh, having a shortage of water is not going to ruin the crop. It's Mm -hmm. the best yields are when you give it the right amount of water, which is still less than other crops, but, Mm -hmm. um, the good thing about Teff is if it is drier or you get your water cut off, then mm-hmm. you can still come out with something. You'll have something. Yeah, that's what we've been hearing from a number of farmers, especially down south, where they're like, I need a guarantee that if we don't get another drop of rain and if they're reducing our access to irrigation or their, say their dryland, that we'll be able to harvest something, even mm-hmm. if it's not fantastic yields. They feel the same way about millets as well, yeah. where even with the commodity prices being what they are for wheat and corn, I'm getting more and more phone calls from farmers that are like, we want to grow ProSo because we're not convinced that we'll be able to have a corn or a wheat yeah. crop with these conditions. So, you know, TEF is something that comes up in those conversations too. And to me, that, that adds a lot of value to the concept of building popularity around these Crops, I mean, not only are they really nutritious, but, you know, they do play a unique role in diversifying the agricultural landscapes and, you know, trying to find some sort of food staple that does thrive under hot, dry conditions. It's an interesting challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it kind of provides some additional insurance to growers where, you know, if the conditions, the climatic conditions change a little bit, they can still count on mm-hmm. at least part of their crops working well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, as far as the nutritional components of TEF, um, it is a, a uniquely nutritious grain. Could you speak a little bit about, about yeah. the nutrition? So um, the one of the things that um, pops out to people who are interested in nutrition is the protein content in TEF is, is quite high. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about 10% protein. Um, another thing that people are starting to realize is more and more important is the fiber, fiber content. So TEF is very high in fiber and we're starting to realize that that is important with sort of the, mm-hmm. um, microbiome and, you know, the gut intestines or the intestinal health. Um, yeah, absolutely. The, uh, TEF is also pretty high in calcium and, and iron. Mm-hmm. And then one one feature that you know isn't important to everybody, but some people it's very important is uh, the fact that Teff is gluten free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's naturally a gluten free grain, and there's a whole suite of interesting grains that are not related to wheat that have some special you know nutritional qualities, and it it's great for those people who are avoiding gluten or on you know celiac or on a wheat free diet, but you know, it's, it's interesting how many people can be reluctant to try something like Teff, mm-hmm. you know, because they're like, well, I can eat wheat, but there's a really strong argument to add Teff to your wheat just for a different nutritional profile, just to help drive that um, diversity in the agricultural landscape um, and give farmers something to grow when it's hot and dry and yeah. maybe your wheat crop's not going to really do so well. So, you know, with this infrastructure here, because this is a big bigger beautiful building much larger than your previous one um can you tell us a little bit how you guys have mechanized your milling and your processing to make it more efficient has that helped you guys reach bigger consumer 
groups to you know sell into because you're just at a scale uh yeah um so i mean as we as we grow more more acres of teff there is literally just more pounds of grain to to handle and so you know what you can what you started out doing by hand becomes um a little bit too much work over mm -hmm. time um so most of our sort of automation mechanization has just been labor saving to try to move more stuff around more easily uh we've also um did my brother is an engineer and we've done a lot of work on the milling system to figure out exactly you know what what um what best works to, to mill teff we've been through mm -hmm. just about every type of, of milling system and you have <laughs> and um we feel like we found a few things that work pretty well at this stage nice. but we're always kind of improving that yeah it's really handy to have an engineer in the family i've decided yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things um every family needs one because there's always great ways to improve processes and especially when you're milling something that's as coarse as teff like you said it's 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 almost like it wears things down, yeah. right? So that's a that's an interesting thing to be up against. Um, what do you guys mostly sell? Like, what's your number one channel for teff flour? And I know that there are different types of teff. You sell both ivory and dark mm -hmm. teff. Yeah, so the majority of our business is with people from the Ethiopian and Eritrean communities here mm -hmm. here in the U.S. Um, but and that is kind of the vast majority, but it's gaining popularity among um, other people, particularly people who are concerned about gluten-free diets mm -hmm. or just eating sort of more healthy, yeah. healthy whole grain or ancient grains. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Are you, are you seeing more people get into specialty milling? Are you are you getting calls from people who are wanting to set up? Um, we haven't we haven't seen a lot of that. Um, we do have a few old. Uh, mills that we have uh, used previously and we occasionally get people that are interested in, in um, buying those from us mm -hmm. I guess some of those mills are there's kind of a balance between thinking you know starting doing a small scale milling and these mills sometimes may be a little bit too much for some people to handle. <laughs> right, right. They're a little too big scale. Yeah, they, for the really the, boutique micro yeah, scale. Yeah, yeah. You, re you really need some engineering expertise or you know uh, expertise in milling to yeah. proper properly use them. Yeah, but, it is. It is such a specialty. And to be honest, I completely underestimated the complexity and the nuances of milling until I got into this industry. I mean, we had a countertop like mill, mm -hmm. you know, just like from the seventies, yeah. old school, but obviously that's not going to work for a business setting. It was very much slow and, and cool. It made, it made great stuff, but I've, I've been really awed at, you know, the industry as a whole and, and how, how fragmented it is still. Cause I feel like there's still such a huge focus on the, ultra large scale commodities which are totally ultra efficient and that's great and all because that helps control cost mm -hmm. but we do need i think as a nation to take a hard look at our mid-level infrastructure yeah yeah well cer certainly i mean the mills that we have are not as gigantic as some of the some of the big milling companies use they're sort of the intermediate and yeah we like to talk to people who are interested mm -hmm. in smaller scale milling to see how we can help them make mm -hmm. things work 
Yeah, that's awesome. Now, it's interesting, you know, just looking forward at the things that we're up against as a world. I, I'm passionate about this concept of like re regenerative design thinking, where it's like, how do we want to take something that could be problematic in the future and make it more efficient by really thinking through it today? Mm -hmm. You know, like let's let's apply this design thinking process and think about how we can set ourselves up for resiliency and for for success in the future. And to me personally, obviously, you know, having more access to high quality foods like TAF is a big is a biggie. But then also things like having access to small scale mill milling. It, you know, you look at the disruption of COVID. You look at the disruption with the war in Ukraine. Like, there's a lot of strength in in investing in these smaller projects. And, and I'm just wondering what, what that kind of process means to you as somebody who's working in this industry. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess one of the ways that we think about it is we're just trying to provide um, farmers with another arrow in their, in their quiver. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, that means different things to, to different people. Uh, yeah. You know, we've got farmers in many different regions and they grow different crops and how TIFF fits in with them uh, is is different for for each one even within certain yeah even within the same region mm -hmm. um, but yeah that just gives the whole system a little bit more stability and flexibility when yeah. when they have those options do you guys ever step back and, and trip out on that and go wow we're a really important cog in the wheel of that greater picture uh, I mean I, I wouldn't say that we trip out on it but yeah, <laughs> we, we try to we try to we try to be helpful. That's it's a, it's an interesting concept because you know to our listeners who are out there and don't know this side of the food system, we're going to do a whole series on value-added processing and how we can make manufacturing better, more sustainable, but still have like the efficiencies that we need to keep a food system running at a good clip, um, which is also really important. So you know, definitely stay tuned, and I'm appreciative that you're kicking off this second segment with me and we work with these guys um they we source all of our milled tap from them so it's a fun part of our picture as snacktivists as well as we grow because we're really committed to supporting these um family-owned and operated mills and the work they're doing in our communities so as far as action items i'm sure there's some people who are curious out there i mean what can they do to to get more involved with this kind of stuff i mean obviously eating more tough is a helpful thing but yeah. what kind of things could people do uh i mean one of the one of the things that the sort of average person could could do is just if you're interested in uh trying new things just give it a try and if you're interested in developing recipes that helps a lot um one of the issues with tef is you know most people have not even heard of it necessarily and don't yeah. know how to use it. And so, yeah. so just figuring out ways to use it is really important. And we don't, we don't really have the answers, but the, you know, the creativity of people who are out there. Yeah. It, yeah. You do have to think outside of the box. And I have to think about when I first started playing around with Teff flour, I found it at a bulk bin in a health food store and I'm like, Oh, I'll make something. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> you can imagine how that turned out. And so I was like, okay, well, I liked the flavor. It had some really cool benefits to it, like that I liked, but just overdone. So then the next time I made pancakes, and these weren't gluten-free pancakes, they were just general pancakes um, from my family, I added a couple 
tablespoons of mm-hmm. it was dark taff and my kids loved it like they were babies at the time but it, it actually added a really awesome flavor and texture and the way that it played with the wheat flour and that's what led us to developing our mm-hmm. our taff waffle mix is you know then when my son had to cut out all the wheat in his diet like well pancake mix is kind of ubiquitous in our household with like saturday and sunday or when i'm coaxing my kids to go to school and they don't feel like it and so that's you know granted we we were able to figure out how to increase our percentage um more than just a couple spoonfuls which is exciting because i feel like it's introducing people to new flavors like that and expanding their palate is part of our passion and part of what we do at snacktivist and Mm -hmm. you guys are definitely doing that too and your website's fabulous. You guys have a lot of cool recipes. So everyone out there, check it out. What is, what is your guys' web address? Uh, so it's uh, tefco.com. That's T-E-F-F-C-O.com. Nice, nice. And, and um, on the on the website, we have a lot of recipes that are uh, probably interesting for people. Also, if you're interested in they're great. learning how to make in, injera, the, the Ethiopian flatbread, then we have a, uh, that's kind of a, more difficult and more extensive process, but we've got a tutorial to teach people how to do that as well. But, you know, people are really into naturally leavened things now. Mm-hmm. So I feel like a lot of those barriers went down over COVID when people made friends with sourdough culture. So yeah. this is kind of stepping it up a notch. But I'd urge people who are at home and do have that culinary flair. It's it's certainly a fun thing. And, and the photography that you guys have in that series is beautiful. Like it makes you literally want to make it like it's just so (laughs) picturesque and pretty so just to close things up you know when you look at everything going on today and you guys are awfully busy running businesses what what gives you hope for the future what are the things that are making you feel hopeful today uh i mean i'm just i i'm always happy to see how interested people are in in tef and other um grains as well Mm -hmm. i think um you know the the food system has kind of gone through a period of being not really that interesting in some ways and we're we're, that is probably changing slowly and so that's pretty exciting yeah it is really exciting that gives me hope too well great well we'll make sure to post um the links to your guys's information and your work so our listeners can go to the show notes and check it out but thanks for joining me today yeah thanks for having me it's been fun thank you for joining us on the regenerative by design podcast If you would like to learn more about the principles of regenerative food systems and agriculture, please see the show notes for links to education, a glossary, and guest information. This podcast was brought to you by Snacktivist Inc., a leader in the regenerative food industry. We create delicious foods from regenerative ingredients that are soil-focused, minimize water use, and maximize carbon sequestration, all while radically impacting human nutrition. Learn more about our work at snacktivistfoods.com.